This is the Mind Body Detox Podcast, where we discuss all things integrative health and wellness, interviewing folks from all over the world, sharing insights and wisdom on how to live a healthier life in mind, body, and spirit. Welcome back to the Mind Body Detox Podcast. I'm your host, integrative intuitive medium, Kara Loveheart, and I'm here with special guest today, Dr. John Neustadt. He is a naturopathic doctor and the founder and president of Nutritional Biochemistry Incorporated. Dr. Neustadt earned his naturopathic medical degree from Bastyr University, where he was awarded the Founders Award for Academic and Clinical Excellence. Now, Dr. Neustadt has published more than 100 medical articles. He has written four health and wellness books and is now a number one Amazon bestselling author in the field of osteoporosis. His most recent book is Fracture Proof Your Bones, a Comprehensive Guide to Osteoporosis. And Dr. Neustadt was also an editor of the textbook, Laboratory Evaluations for Integrative and Functional Medicine, which was used across the United States to train and educate physicians on using functional medicine with their patients. So not only is Dr. Neustadt, of course, he's a naturopathic doctor, but he's helping all these other amazing physicians out there that maybe are looking to integrate more functional medicine into their practice by really getting them an opportunity to learn through the textbook he's created. So thank you so much for that, um, that work you're doing. Dr. Neustadt, I want to introduce you to everyone and have you share anything else about your background that you'd like to share at this time, because today's topic, uh, I'm going to introduce that and we're going to go into reversing depression and improving your mood with functional medicine. So this is a topic that a lot of our listeners are going to be really excited to hear about. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, thank you for that uh, amazing introduction. What I hope listeners understand uh, as we move forward in this interview and learn more about my approach and about me is that the reason why I have become specialized in these areas, the reason why I've dedicated so much time and energy to, uh, to learning the underlying causes of different conditions that are affecting tens of millions of people is because I really am driven by a desire to see if we can fix things and not just mask symptoms. I'm driven by a desire to say, okay, let's step back a second. The conventional approach largely just suppresses symptoms. What tools do we have in our, in our toolbox from all these brilliant biochemists and laboratory technicians over decades and decades of research and work? Have they identified some of the underlying biochemical causes that are driving these symptoms? Because what we know is that if you weren't sick last year or five years ago, and you are now, something's changed in your biochemistry. Can we identify what's going on? and fix it, give a targeted, personalized approach instead of a one-size-fits-all or the shotgun approach where people are just, oh, here, try this and then try a little bit of that. It's like cooking without a recipe. I'm terrible right. with, with cooking without recipes. I always have to read a recipe, as my wife will, will attest. Um, and so that's what I hope people uh, get out of, out of this talk, that there are ways to evaluate and understand what's really going on at a biochemical level, 
as well as not missing the more situational issues that may be going on and ways that people can improve their their habits and take actions to move in the right direction of improving their mood and other areas in their health as well. So how would you take the information you just shared and, and explain it to us as far as the difference between what you're doing, of course, is we're not addressing symptoms and not that shotgun approach. We're not addressing it that way. How is that related to the term functional medicine versus traditional allopathic medicine? What exactly is the difference there? The difference is it's functional medicine is looking to evaluate how the body is functioning. The name is is rather intuitive in, in, in that sense. And the body functions through its biochemistry. People take years to get PhDs in biochemistry, but really it's quite simple to boil the concept down to this. Biochemistry is how your body uses vitamins, minerals, fats, and amino acids to do its job. And how things like deficiencies in any one of those areas or environmental toxins or food allergies or infections interfere with the proper healthy normal biochemical functioning and cause symptoms to occur that's the functional medicine approach the allopathic or conventional approach especially when it comes to psychiatric conditions is really looking at symptomatology it's a clinical diagnosis There aren't lab tests necessarily to run. They ask a series of questions. Have you lost interest in your uh, activities you used to enjoy? Uh, Are you sleeping more? How's your your irritability, your libido, your energy level? There's a whole list of questions and symptoms that, that can be related to depression. But that doesn't get to the underlying cause. Now, the underlying cause, frankly, might be that someone's just in a bad situation. They're in a bad life situation. It's situational depression. And it's important to understand if that's the the case because then that would be appropriate steps could be taken to improve the situation. But if it's something biochemical going on, there's testing that, that can be done to identify the underlying causes and fix them. And what about if you're going through a very stressful life circumstance or situation that that puts a toll on the body and the biochemistry gets out of whack from that? You know, I would believe that functional medicine would be able to support some in some way, getting that body, giving the body some support to do its work in a good way. So while they're going through therapy or some sort of support. Absolutely. And I do think that it's important to use an integrative approach. I think that doing the functional medicine approach or doing this testing doesn't mean people forego counseling. I, I think doing them in tandem, using an integrated approach, is going to give the, the, the best results. When people are under stress, and we're, so many people are under high levels of chronic stress these days, what we do know is we burn through our water-soluble vitamins and our amino acids, our proteins, faster. So that chronic stress sets people up for deficiencies of, of some nutrients. Additionally, just as we get older, you know, most Americans' diets are not optimal. They're not fantastic. 
So as we age, we're also at increased risk for nutritional deficiencies. Pregnancy increases a woman's risk for nutritional deficiencies uh, as well. Other illnesses, if there are malabsorption illnesses going on, like irritable bowel disease, that increases the risk. So looking at the nutritional status of somebody in conjunction with what's going on with their lifestyle, you know, how's their, their overall mental health, are they getting counseling, all of that is important to do. So I'm curious what led you into having an interest and a passion for reversing depression and improving mood, uh, specifically with functional medicine. What, what was your story bringing you into this arena with it? Great question. What happened to me was I graduated from medical school and opened my own clinic. At the time, it was as a solo practitioner, so it was just me. I found myself working with my initial patients who would, would, would come in using an integrative naturopathic approach, which is diet, lifestyle, uh, dietary supplements, herbs, those sorts of things. And I had these amazing ideas and, and I believe they, they would have worked. I mean, they were sound, solid, solid plans I was putting people on. And what I found is, is the initial model under which I worked is somebody would come in, I would do an evaluation and then I would have them go away and then they would come back and I would have their program, three month program worked up for them. I like taking people through programs. One of the challenges with conventional approaches is, is typically it's open end. It's like, well, here's your medication, and well, am I just going to be on this for the rest of my life? What's the plan? Do you have any plan to get me off it? And it usually is no. Yeah. Um, so I like it. We're really working to heal people. You know, so what's the plan? What's the program? And but what I found was, as I was explaining the program to them and the plan, their eyes started glazing over. And I very quickly realized it's like, oh, no. So really what I'm saying is basically just believe me. Commit to changing your diet and your, your, you know, working on your sleep and, and taking all of these supplements. And, and it really just came down to them having to believe me. And so I realized quickly that this isn't going to work. Uh, and, and I started looking at better ways to communicate, to get the information to get the buy-in from the patient and also to be able to provide even more tailored specific programs and, and plans for each individual patient. And that got me looking more at functional testing or uh, medical biochemistry, as I was calling it at the time. I've actually written three books on that topic as well. Uh, one is a textbook that I uh, co-wrote called uh, Foundations and Applications of Medical Biochemistry and Clinical Practices that some clinicians are using to help them understand how to do the testing, but not just the testing, but how to then create programs for people, treatment plans for people, and manage them. Uh, and then there's uh, another book called The Revolution in Health Through Nutritional Biochemistry I wrote for the general public that gives them a better idea of this approach. There's actually a chapter on depression in that. And once I started doing the testing, uh, first of all, people got more excited because it wasn't just me saying it. It was, it was a, a third party. You know, here are numbers on the test. They understood better what we were trying to do. Yeah. So their compliance and their buy-in was much higher as well. And, and we're going to be changing those laboratory values. But more importantly than that, when you look at functional testing and nutritional testing, 
most fre uh, frequently, those lab values relate to symptoms that somebody is experiencing. And so I could go through the tests and say, okay, this means you know, you're low in, functionally low in vitamin B6, and that can explain uh, why your mood is low. Or you don't have enough magnesium, that can explain the muscle cramps you're having in your calves, or that you're, that's a, in, impacting uh, your mood. You're low in tryptophan, you know, different things, and then create a very custom program for people and, and, and the, what happens with biochemistry is amazing. It's one of the things I love. It's like a car that's out of gas, right? If you're deficient in nutrients and you're missing that gas to fuel that car engine, the car is not going to drive. But as soon as you give it the gas, it, it starts working. Similarly with our biochemistry, if somebody's low in nutrients, when you give them those nutrients, your, your biochemistry, your body's primed to use it. It wants to use those nutrients to feel better. People start feeling better very quickly. And so what would happen is, is I would, they would start the program and I, and I would follow up two weeks later. I would want them to start feeling some relief. And typically they felt much better already within a couple of weeks, especially when we're talking about mood. And then over the subsequent, you know, two and a half months, it's a three-month program, what happens then is we work longer term to help people improve their diet and their lifestyle to hopefully prevent the deficiencies from happening in the future because we're replenishing those, those, that gas tank now. Yeah, I think that the validation from the blood work and the blood panels, seeing something concrete, everyone likes to know about themselves. You know, like, well, what about me? What's going on with my blood work? You know, because people really are inherently very self-centered in that way, in a good way, because we need to look at that. But I think that's really cool to have that validation and then you connecting the dots for people between the symptoms and the deficiencies. That's huge. And, and it may actually, in, in not all cases, is, is, is it, do you have to go that in depth? It could be that somebody has hypothyroidism. They just have low thyroid that's undertreated or they have iron deficiency. One of the things I see frequently, I mean, I can't tell you how often I, I see this, is that many women are walking around with low iron and they don't know it because the conventional test that's run doesn't pick it up. So as soon as you start you know, getting your period every month, you're losing iron in the blood. When you're pregnant, if you if you have if you get pregnant, you know that baby is taking iron as as well. And the CBC, the complete blood count that's run, which is the screening test for iron deficiency anemia and other types of anemia, but for anemia, actually is a late manifestation of low iron. So those red blood cells live for about three months. So low iron isn't going to show up on that blood test for months, and it's got to get down to a pretty critical level. But iron is used in our body for hundreds of different activities, hundreds of steps in different biochemical pathways throughout the body. And one of those areas it's used for and is important is for energy production. Mitochondrial health are the energy-producing parts of our cells. So they're testing the wrong thing to get a glimpse of what is somebody's iron status. The most sensitive indicator for iron is what's called a serum ferritin test. And most people are going to have to request that. So ask for yep. that test. Ferritin is the storage form of iron. In fact, there's a, a blog on my website 
at mbihealth.com. If you just search for uh, the most important laboratory test women aren't getting, that blog will come up. And you will see a discussion of why getting that test is so important. But then you have the issue of interpreting it. And yeah. this is where it's important to find a, 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 not just a good clinician, but an excellent clinician. The serum ferritin test. So first of all, let me back up a sec. How laboratory test results are calculated, the normal, what's quote unquote normal, is literally they will run hundreds of tests. And they will decide, okay, 95% of the people, we're just going to call them normal. 95% of the test results are normal. So 2.5% on the high side are abnormal, 2.5% on the low side are are considered abnormal. Now, that has no relationship to optimal. What's the optimal level? Yes. So serum, serum ferritin, when you look at the laboratory test results from different labs, I've seen as low as 12 all the way up to over 110 or 120. That's a huge range. That's about a 10-time difference, huge range. So you may get a serum ferritin back, and the clinician says, oh, you're 30, you're fine. This can't be contributing to your depression and your fatigue, and they're wrong. And that's not just my opinion. There's a clinical trial that was done where women were who had a serum ferritin less than 50, who also complained of fatigue, were given an iron supplement. And in those women, their, their energy improved by almost 50% and their iron levels went up. So, so it's important to understand not just getting the test run, but educating yourself because not all clinicians are equally competent at interpreting labs. Yeah. And that's an important point to know. And why you're doing such a great service to your listeners of bringing on guests who can help them you become more educated and take more control of their own health. Absolutely. And it's all about that empowerment and taking responsibility and working as a team with your healthcare professionals that you work with. And I know that that, that blog post that you have, that, that article that you have on the website, you guys, I'm going to put that in the show notes because I want to go into another question and say, how often do we have thyroid tests that aren't coming back? you know, that they're actually not normal. That's one that I know is common that you're saying that just the levels are different uh, from what the mainstream is saying is normal. So the American Academy of Clinical Endocrinologists years ago came out with a recommendation that uh, TSH, that's the, the lab test, that's the typical initial screen for, for thyroid. And if your TSH is high, it means your thyroid is is having is, is not functioning as well as it could. Their recommendation was if there's a TSH of greater than 2.5 and the person has symptoms, that it, it could justify a trial of thyroid replacement hormone. And there are oftentimes, you know, I'll see those results and people bring their lab tests to me or share their stories and, and they had a, a TSH of three, 3.54, and their doctor just said, oh, you're normal because it is in the, the normal range. And different labs also, people need to understand, have different normal range ranges. A Quest lab result may have one, one reference range, a different local lab in the hospital that, you, that, that your local hospital may have a different reference range. So that's important to understand too. So I, you know, TSH, though, is not the only thing to test. If you want a more comprehensive look at thyroid function, 
you have to actually look at the thyroid hormones. Most people don't realize that TSH is not a thyroid hormone. TSH is a hormone produced in the pineal gland in the, in the, uh, in the, not the pineal gland, the pituitary, the pituitary gland in the brain. And it goes down to your thyroid, which is at the base of your neck and, and, and signals the thyroid gland to produce and release its hormones, which are called T4 and T3. So if you want a, a more comprehensive uh, idea of how the thyroid gland is functioning, you would include the T4 and T3 tests along with the TSH test to see what's happening. So one other thing I want to say about optimal ranges. So basically, yours, all these different labs have different optimal ranges that they have or you know, low and high values. So there's going to differ between labs. And, but it's not necessarily testing what the optimal range is for an individual person. One of the things that I found that's very interesting is that when we go to a mainstream medical doctor and they're asking us about our bowel movements, how, how often or how how often should we be having a bowel movement that is what is within an optimal range? And I'm going to share that the optimal range that I had been told by my medical doctor five years ago was one, times a, day, one time a day up to once a week. Once a week for a bowel movement. And so I didn't want to question my doctor and say, that's strange. That seems a little odd. But I knew... <laughs> But that wasn't right. It just doesn't doesn't make sense. So can you give me an idea, give the listeners an idea of what is an optimal range? Because I get that question all the time. So so the bowels are one of the routes of elimination, the one of the detoxification pathways in, in our bodies. I believe it's important that people have a healthy bowel movement every day. You should be eating enough uh, fiber drinking enough water, moving your body, where you are eliminating uh, at least once, once a day. And the, the, the technical di- diagnostic criteria for constipation, I believe, is not, and, and I, I'm not sure if I'm remembering this exactly, but I believe it's not having a bowel movement less than every th- you know, three days or less frequently, I believe. Yeah. Right? But that's not... Definitely five days without a bowel movement. That's not good. No. no, you don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought it was very strange. It was just very strange to me when I got that answer. Um, but yeah, so as far as we're working with functional medicine for reversing depression and improving mood, what are some current statistics around mental health related illness? Because I think a lot of people are affected and maybe more are medicated than maybe before. And maybe even after COVID, we have more people struggling with that. Yeah. So can I, I since we, you brought up the topic of poop, I'd love oh, yeah. to spend a moment on that. Absolutely. I think that is a, that is, that is something that people need, need to really recognize is not just this smelly thing coming out, out of you, but it can give you clues about your health, not just the frequency, but for example, if there are little droplets of fat on this, on the water or your stool is floating, that could indicate a malabsorption issues. You're not absorbing your fat. If the stool is dark and tarry black, you could actually have a bleed in your low, lower uh, large intestines. Uh, I, I mean, sorry, in your, in your upper portion of your large intestines. Um, there could be blood in, in the stool, and that could indicate a bleed in, in the lower portion of your 
uh, large uh, intestines. If you're straining a lot to get it out, or it's just solid or rock hard, you know, that's another indication that you may not be getting enough protein, or not protein, enough fiber and enough water. So pay attention to that because it's, it's, you're, you're making it, it's giving you important information and it can be, give you clues as to whether you need to have other conversations with your doctor or maybe you just need to modify your diet a little bit. I mean, there is like that saying that people say, I feel like crap because I haven't crapped, you know, like there is that, that connection there. So yeah, educate us about that connection too, between our, our own mental wellness and, and, and how does that having a bowel movement really relate to that? Right. So like when, when people are, are, they have an accumulation of feces in their, in their, in their bowels, what happens is those toxins that you're trying to, to release from the body and let go, those can get reabsorbed back. Some of them can get reabsorbed back into the systemic circulation. And I'll give you a, a, an idea of, so ammonia is, is one thing. So ammonia can get back into the central circulation and cross into the blood brain barrier, go into the central nervous system and affect the brain. And, and we know that that actually can create depression uh, and affect you know, mental, mental health. So I don't know how frequently that that's really the, the, the cause, the underlying cause of somebody's issue, but there definitely is a one piece of the puzzle. When I do an intake with, with my patients, when I was working with, with my patients, I would ask them about their bowel movements. That's an important question to ask as a, as, as a series, one of a series of questions of really from head to toe, all the different systems in the body of, of asking certain questions to get valuable information that can dictate uh, testing that might be done, recommendations for people to make, uh, et cetera. Do you have any information about stool or bowel movement or do you use the Bristol stool um, evaluation or something that we could re- refer everybody to on your website? I, I don't. I don't have that, and I and I know people who who do, uh, but that I was not using that. Okay. Yeah. As far as that goes, I I think that that's again the information that Dr. Newstadt is sharing. I think it's really important. We talked about in the gut health episode to monitor your bowel movements and really check that out. It's really important. So as far as it could also indicate too. You know that can you know if there's if there's abdominal gas and bloating um, and you've got you know diarrhea that's going on not just constipation, you know, that could also indicate a, a dysbiosis uh, as well. I think the, um, the connection between gut health and mood is so pre- prevalent that, that we, we talk about that a lot. We've had a couple guests on the, on the podcast talking about that. So what are then some common um, treatments we can then do for depression and in traditional medicine and how do they differ with functional medicine? And can we actually reverse and heal depression with, with functional medicine? So the conventional approach is counseling and uh, psychopharmacology, uh, typically uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors uh, like Prozac, for example, Lexapro are first-line therapies, first-line treatments. The challenge, and, and those look, I'm not against medications when they're used properly. But when you're only looking at, at 
that as the solution and not looking from a functional approach as well, I don't believe that we're doing the best possible job for our patients. And there are some serious side effects that can be created from these medications. We do know now, and this is something that is not on most doctors' radars, is those medications for depression, the, the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors uh, and the selective norepinephrine and re, uh, um, selective serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors like Cymbalta, they actually damage bone, create osteoporosis, and create fractures. So people who are on the Prozac-type medication or Lexapro-type medication, we now know, you know long-term that for every 19 patients taking them long-term, we should expect one of them will break a bone. And if you have osteoporosis and you fracture a hip, there's up to a 36% chance you're going to be dead in a year. So that is not a situation that anybody wants and that alone will, can create depression in people but so so short-term use of antidepressants when indicated I don't have a problem with what I do have a problem with is when that's all that's done you know we have now 24% of women over 60 years old are on uh, you know are uh, and on these SSRI antidepressant medications and the amount of depression uh, used to be before the pandemic, the, the prevalence was about 8%. And 2021, it's now estimated last year that it went up to 33% wow. of people with depression. Wow. Right? It's, it's just, it's an epidemic. It's scary. Right? When you're looking at the functional approach, then you want to look at uh, not just, you know, testing, but are you getting enough sleep? And look, my, my conventionally trained colleagues who follow the conventional approach, they will ask about sleep as well. But the conventional approach then for improving sleep is tends to be limited by and large to just prescribing another medication. And the, the medications for sleep um, have some, some, you know, look, they can be helpful. There's always a cost benefit or risk, risk benefit analysis that needs to go through with medications. But natural approaches to sleep, and there's a blog that I have on my website uh, about a checklist for sleep that people can do. And I had so many people coming to me complaining about their issues with sleep and wanting me to create uh, a, a solution and products, even though there are a lot of things out on the market, um, because melatonin really isn't enough for most people because what happens is it wears off in the middle of the night. They end up having to take more and more and more, and then they wake up feeling hungover and groggy. So I created a, a biphasic time release combination of herbs and amino acids and just a little bit of melatonin so people fall asleep quickly and then it helped them stay asleep and feel rested and rejuvenated in the morning. But also getting off your, 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 you know, your, your phones, these little devices at, at night. Um, if you're on them, it's been shown to keep people from getting into a deep restorative sleep. So sleep is a big issue. Looking, um, and there are other resources too on my website for, for sleep, tons of that. Looking at uh, if somebody is, uh, has acid reflux, even that is missed conventionally. Meaning if you've got acid reflux, you could be waking up in the middle uh, of the night a lot, and that could be disturbing your sleep. And diet alone can do a great job of, of fixing that. Uh, there are about five most common triggers for acid reflux, uh, tomatoes, raw garlic, raw onion, chocolate, coffee, uh, and citrus. 
Uh, peppermint can be an issue. Spicy food can be an issue. And people suggest doing some dietary modifications may help uh, improve that and thereby improve people's sleep. Pain. People oftentimes can get depression because they're in pain. And so I'm looking and seeing if that could be uh, addressed and, and fixed uh, can, can go a long way uh, as well. Chronic inflammation causes, causes, uh, the, causes depression. And so there are things, you know, following an anti-inflammatory diet alone uh, can, has been shown to reduce those inflammatory chemicals that, that people produce, that our bodies produce. So one of the things people oftentimes don't get enough of are omega-3 fatty acids, those, those anti-inflammatory fatty acids that can be helpful, not enough fruits and vegetables that are anti-inflammatory. Uh, so, the, and the list just goes on and on. If we're talking about um, other things that, that are commonly missed is, is exercise. You know, exercise is a great antidepressant. And the, the mis, I think the misnomer, or not the misnomer, the, the misunderstanding about exercise is people, I think, believe still that they've got to go into a gym and pump iron or they've got to go, you know, train for a triathlon or do something, you know, to that level of activity, and that's just not true. The research shows that even just exercising 10 minutes a day, you know, going for a brisk walk can be very, very helpful. Getting out into nature can be amazingly beneficial for people's mood, for depression and anxiety. And I haven't even started touching on it. That's without even any testing at all. There's so much that we can do from a holistic, naturopathic, functional point of view to, to help people beyond just prescribing a pill, whether it's a medication or a dietary supplement. I'm not a fan, and I own a dietary supplement company. Dietary supplements should be taken as the FDA intended, that is, as a supplement to a healthy diet. So start with the four pillars of health, diet, lifestyle, sleep, one thing that's often overlooked, which is another pillar of health, there's a blog on my website called The Four Pillars of Health, is connection, connecting to other people. You know, all of those things can be very helpful. Then dietary supplements are there to support the system. Dietary supplements are not approved by the FDA to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure any disease. But if you do have a diagnosed deficiency, they are crucial to take to replenish you and they can be used to supplement a healthy um, diet. So when we look at, for example, brain health and central nervous system health, we look at, let's just talk about iron. And there are lots of iron supplements out there, but making sure if you're looking at dietary supplements that it's one that is a high quality because the reason why so many people complain about iron supplements is because they're not absorbed. They use cheap, cheap ingredients iron sulfate, iron gluconate, and that's what causes the constipation and the cramping. Because of all those complaints with my patients, that's why I created Ferrisol, my product, which is a, a high dose up to about 75% absorbable, doesn't cause those GI side effects for people. And also because people, the, the, the clinical trials on different nutrients like acetyl-L-carnitine, L-carnitine. You know, the challenge out there when you're looking at supplements is most manufacturers aren't using the dose or the combination of the nutrients used in clinical trials and shown to actually work, which is why in my brain blend product that I formulated, 
to promote healthy mood, memory, learning, recall. It has the doses used in the clinical trials and shown to actually work to give results. And so it's, it's a complicated picture and issue. And the bottom line for people to cut through all of the complications, I think, is this. Use your intuitive sense. I think people know intuitively what pathway they should try or start down. Listen to your body. Most of us are up here in our heads and take some time to just stop and start asking different questions. If you start ask, if you ask yourself the question, why am I so depressed? Why am I so tired? Well, your, your brain is going to look for those answers to support those questions. It's going to give you the answers you're looking for. Those answers, however, of why you're so depressed are just going to reinforce why you're depressed. It's not going to give you solutions. So if you want different results, you've got to start asking different questions. And one of those questions could be, how can I feel better? How can I start to feel better? That may mean just picking up the phone and calling a friend. That may mean, you know, I'm tired. I just want to take a nap. That may mean, hey, I need a different approach. What I'm doing isn't working. What can I do? How can I find the resources? Just start asking more proactive, positive questions to move you in the direction and starting down this pathway. And you will find the answers. Absolutely, because I think some of us, when we're struggling with depression or anxiety, we do focus on how we're feeling, and then we get on the hamster wheel of how we're feeling and feeling victimized by it and feeling powerless, and I think asking different questions is a very powerful way to shift your mindset, just to move into a space of solution and opportunity and possibility. So I would say if you have to rewind that, listen to that again, what Dr. Neustadt said, I think that's really powerful advice for sure. Yeah. So, you know, going into recovery for someone who's struggling with mental health issues, what is full recovery? What does that look like? And when someone has nutritional deficiencies or they are addressed in a functional medicine way, what percentage of patients will have full recovery? Thank you for listening to the Mind Body Detox podcast. We wish you wellness and health in your mind, body, and spirit. And be well until next time, my friends.